Welcome to the latest episode of the Satan's Guru podcast. I'm, I'm really pleased to be joined today by Stephen Marks, who's the Business Development Director of Newcastle Strategic Solutions Limited. Welcome, Stephen. Hi, James. It's great to have you on board today. I'm quite conscious that while myself and, and, and others who work within the industry are, are, are really aware of, of you and, and Newcastle Strategic Solutions Limited, you're not a name that will be familiar to probably our savers that are, are listening in. So perhaps you could kick us off with telling us a little bit more about the the history of, of strategic solutions and and how you've got into the, the savings market and your, your role within it. Yeah, sure. So solutions is part of the Newcastle Building Society group. And in the late 1990s, we started to provide technology to other building societies. So we already had a history of supplying services to others. And then in 2004, the Building Society launched its own internet savings account based on a platform which we had built ourselves. And we were one of the very first building societies to launch into the internet savings market. And then a number of months after that, we were actually approached by Bradford Bingley Building Society, who asked if they could buy our internet savings system from us. They've been trying to develop their own system for a, a, a number of months, but but weren't really getting there and they'd seen the, the success that we'd had with ours. So we considered that request. Um, we, we decided that our system that we built ourselves was, was just too valuable to us. So we said, no, we wouldn't sell it to them, but we would become their e-savings arm if that was of interest to them. And they agreed to that. So we then went ahead and we launched a, a fully branded, white-labeled uh, savings operation for Bradford Bingley, where we managed all of the customer activity and various other support services as well, such as financial crime and, and payments. And that was really the start of Solutions, and uh, it grew from there. And now we've, we've developed, over the years, a, a strong reputation within the industry, both with our savings providers and with the major consultancy firms as well. We've launched uh, many new banks into the savings market over the years. We've helped a number create uh, new online channels. We've also um, helped existing providers with uh, their existing savings books as well, where we've transferred them in and managed them as well. So, so looking back, I think the opportunity with um, Brad from Bingley, it was, um, it was al- almost by accident more than design, but it's really helped create the, the quite substantial business that we have today it's a really interesting in history and, and and how you got got into the market um you, you're quite you're quite a significant player in in the savings space uh, can you can you tell us a little bit more for the the listeners benefit about your your kind of size and and scale within the the market into you know in terms of the number of clients you've got and and the size of your customer base yeah sure so it has got real scale both within um the market and also within the Newcastle group. We manage well over uh, a million accounts on behalf of 12 live clients for savings management services. Uh, and we've got other clients that we're currently working with at the moment who will launch uh, in the, the months ahead. And our, our clients, they, they come from a number of different areas. So some are challenger banks, others involved in things like motor finance or credit cards, trade finance or, or even store finance. And examples amongst our existing clients would include the likes of Paragon uh, and Aldemore. Um, and in terms of new clients that are 
going through the process to launch next year. That that would include the, the likes of Recognise and Be North, amongst others. And as I say, within the group, it's got uh, quite substantial scale as well. So about 600 of our colleagues work in the solutions business uh, and about 140 of them uh, are in tech roles. I mean, that's a, a significant scale of oper- operation that you have. I mean, I, I've had the privilege of visiting your, your site and, and the scale is kind of really brought to life when you, mm. you come there. I would say you're almost like one of the best kept secrets within the mm. in the saving world. I think most savers would not know that they're being looked after by yourselves rather than the, the bank itself. Uh, yes. would, would, would that be the case from, from your perspective? Definitely, and I, and I think I think it's really important that that is the case. So, customers applying and operating their accounts through any of our clients, really, they, they would have no idea that there's another organisation sitting behind who, who's actually managing all of those savings operations on behalf of that particular bank. I, and I think you know that that's evident through a number of different things. So, the platform itself is all fully branded and white labelled on behalf of each of our clients. So if you're a customer coming into the, the bank website and you see their savings product selection and you click on the apply now, at that point you seamlessly transfer through into our platform for the application uh, process to, to commence. That it, that it really is all quite seamless and, and the customer just, just wouldn't detect that that, that was taking place. But then beyond the, the platform itself, um, the customer service operation that supports it in the background, that's obviously all fully branded as well. So we answer the phone in the name of the client and we correspond with customers in the name of the, the client as well. So again, all, all completely seamless. And I think probably another important factor is um, tone of voice for, for our clients. So we, we spend a lot of time with our clients when we when we launch and set the operations up to make sure that we we really understand their brand values, their tone of voice. Our clients help us in the training that we do for our staff when we set up operations um, to make sure that, that those brand values and that tone of voice are being fully reflected by our, our staff when they're providing the service to their customers. So really the, the whole thing is seamless and uh, it's absolutely the intention that the customers would have no idea that they're actually dealing with a, a different organisation sitting behind that bank. I guess it's almost like a bit of a badge of honour. You're doing your job really well if if savers aren't aware that that you're in, involved uh, and it is seamless. That uh, it's one of one of those kind of roles where you're you're almost the unsung hero. Yes, yes. I mean, one of the things that we always get a lot of pleasure out of seeing is uh, the industry awards that our, that our clients win. And year on year, um, our clients have have good, consistent success um, in in the industry awards. Now. It, it, we, we like to think it's, it's, it's partly based on the service that we provide. We're, we're not pretending it's all down to our service, but we do get do get a lot of pleasure. I've seen our, our clients win awards, and, and we know that behind the scenes, we we, are, we know we are playing that, that unknown role and uh, looking after the customers, and, and we, we also get a lot of uh, satisfaction out of that as well. I suspect that one of the questions that uh, that if we had some of the savers on would be asking would be why would a bank choose to come to yourselves uh, rather than to to build the customer services and operations of their business within within the bank? For a, for a new bank that's coming to the market, uh, I think there's a number of reasons why 
they would want to come and talk to us and why they would want to p- pursue a, a service through us. I think that the, the most important factor for some is that we de-risk their entry into the savings market. Quite often at a time when they're focused on progressing their application for a banking licence and building out the rest of the bank. Uh, and we de-risk that entry because we've got so much expertise and experience in launching new providers into the market. But there are a, a number of other factors as well. So obviously the services are based on our existing shared platform. So we believe we can get people into the market more quickly than as if they were trying to build and develop their own team and proposition from scratch. Uh, they're obviously taking advantage of the, the customer proposition that we have through our digital platform, which is something we continue to invest in. We've got a, a great track record in providing great service to their savings customers. I think that's partly reflected in the, the industry awards that I've mentioned, but I think you know you also see it through some of the sort of customer ratings and reviews that you've got in certain client websites. Uh, and I think another really important factor is that we look after all the regulatory requirements for them, uh, ensuring that we're providing a, a compliant service. And, and I think that in itself is, is quite a big challenge for uh, so certainly some of the maybe some of the smaller banks to look after those things themselves. And then maybe the the final point for for new people coming into the market is this obviously sort of frees them up to concentrate on the, the ongoing management of other parts of the business, which is maybe where their real expertise lies and where, where they would see the sort of value generating activities. So that would be for new entrants that are coming into the market. But we do also um, do business with people who are already existing providers. They already have existing savings books and we get approaches from uh, providers um, about managing their existing books and I think that that can be for a few different reasons it may be they're struggling with old legacy technology uh, that that creates risk um, it becomes expensive to look after as well you might have um, decline in knowledge in terms of how you look after those systems and it can also be a, a lack of digital capability and for all those reasons they may see us as being an attractive option in terms of uh, looking after the same book. And if anything, I think that the pandemic this year has probably made firms look even more closely at that. So, you know, I think we, we can all see that digital adoption generally through consumers has accelerated this year. So firms are, are really having to look closely at what kind of digital services they've got and um, the future operating models to make sure they're uh, as effective and, and, and cost efficient as possible. One of the things that some savers probably won't be aware is that that you predominantly at the moment service the personal customer market but you've recently announced and you mentioned that uh, they're, they're going through the process at the moment and recently got their license recognized uh, you, you, there was some PR recently that, that you're now going to enter the the business savings market and, and recognize are going to be one of your your clients on that can you can you tell us how that's come about and and kind of what your plans are for for the for the SME space. So we're going to launch into SME savings uh, the early part of next year. It's something that have been working on for a good number of months now, and we're, we're really excited about that development for next year. I think our decision to launch into SME savings was was partly driven by um, feedback from existing and new clients, and we also saw ourselves that it was a good sort of complementary service to what we already did through retail. I think for our mark for our clients, 
that there were a few points around that. So there's probably about half the number of providers in SME savings as there are in the overall retail market. So it's slightly less crowded. The the rates for SMEs uh, lag those in the retail market normally, e- even in this low rate environment. Uh, and I think our clients would like to tap into multiple sources of funding uh, and being an SME gives them a, a, another option on that front as well. Uh, and I think for our part, I mean, given our previous experience in retail, we, we believe we can develop a, a market-leading solution on SME for opening and managing those accounts online uh, through the bespoke work that we're doing with our customer due diligence partners at the moment. We're developing an application which, which we think will op- optimise uh, immediate acceptance rates through that online journey. Uh, and with um, SME, uh, we'll obviously have a roadmap in place. So what, what we do launch with and the other part of next year, which which from, from day one will be an excellent service, but thereafter it'll be something that we just continue to invest in and develop as we do with retail. So overall, um, yeah, a really exciting development for us for the early part of next year. It's a really interesting point you made there about um, optimising the the conversion there because uh, from, from my experience, that's one of the barriers for for some of the new entrant banks looking at that that market, the the number of constituent parts uh, from a, a business applicant to, to look at increases the the chance that something won't go straight through an automated uh, application solution, uh, and that, I think that's one of the reasons why some have shied away from from entering that that space. So I'm sure there'll be people phoning you up for conversation on that. Uh, um, because that's certainly an area that's uh, been a challenge for the industry. Yeah, absolutely. There's obviously quite quite a lot uh, going on. Are there are there any other plans for your your savings proposition in the future that you can share with us? So, I mean, as you can imagine, our, our clients always have a, a really keen interest in where we're taking the proposition. They want to make sure that their service is always going to, you know, be at the kind of forefront of the market. So, there's a good healthy tension on us to make sure that we are uh, continuing to develop the service and there are a number of things we've been doing uh, and and we're working on and other things we've kind of got an eye on in the future for how we can continue to develop our proposition so I think probably the the first thing to to mention is the significant investment that we've put into our technology our digital teams our ways of working over the last couple of years is without that underlying infrastructure and approach you're just not going to be able to take advantage of the new initiatives that will that'll come along in the future so that that's probably the first thing to mention on the initiatives themselves uh, the most important development we've had this year has been the launch of our savings app which was in may uh, and that's now in the process of being rolled out to our our, our clients uh, beyond uh, newcastle building society who, who, who took it initially uh, and through that customers can uh, view and, and transact in their accounts and again there'll be an ongoing sort of program of, of development with the app and it's already it's really interesting to see already um, the experience of uh, the Newcastle where in the relatively short time the app's been out there 40 percent of all account logins and are, are already taking place via the app uh, and customers are viewing their accounts on average 1.4 times per day which is fantastic for building more customer engagement with the brand. Uh, so mobile app has been a really significant um, step for us this year. And going forward, we see it very much as a mobile first approach where 
developments that we have generally will always be considering how how they'll fit, how they'll work within that mobile app environment. So so that's that's one area. I think uh, another area is just the customer experience generally. So as we all know, consumers have got um, heightened expectations from dealing with big tech, the likes of your Amazons, your Netflixes. And I think even some of the newer digital banks that have come into uh, financial services in the last couple of years, they've definitely helped raise uh, expectations as well. So we we um, we we've become pretty relentless, to be honest, at looking at all of our sort of different customer journeys, uh, particularly the online ones, to make sure that they're as efficient as possible. We've had good success this year with improving certain journeys, which have led to much lower um, contact rates and, and customers who have felt they need to call us to maybe talk through some issues they've had. And I, and I think that kind of relentless focus on the customer experience, that will be key going forward as well. Um, new product product initiatives, that will always be important. Uh, I've talked about SME, but I think in the future, um, it'll be interesting to look at people's savings habits, g- given the kind of financial shock that a lot of people have had through the pandemic. There could well be uh, increased interest in things like savings pots. Um, Probably another area of interest is, is is moms and dads who are looking to help children through important life events, such as uh, buying their first home. There could well be some product opportunities around that as well. Payments is probably another key area that I'd mention. So something we're looking at at the moment is, is request to pay functionality, where customers will be able to fund their accounts, uh, both within their application and, and within the account. Uh, and that's instead of sort of going out separately into the bank account and pushing payment through. So I mean, the, the whole payments arena, um, again, that's something where consumers have got heightened expectations um, given the ways the ways in which they pay for all sorts of other goods and services. Uh, and I think having really slick payment processes within the within internet savings is, is important as well. And the final area is probably just other innovation generally. So there's another watchful eye on our side on new developments such as voice uh, and especially open finance. So obviously with open banking, it's kind of evolving into open finance. It's difficult to say exactly how open finance will take hold for savings. Um, we, we're, we're not 100% sure. Our clients are not 100% sure either, to, to be honest. But I think what is clear at the moment is you have to have the right mechanism to be able to take advantage of whatever those future opportunities might be. And that means having the industry standard open APIs, which which we started to develop ourselves through our new app. So I think that that's going to be another really interesting area of focus uh, across the next few years. There's certainly a, a long list of, of things there. You're, you're definitely not going to be quiet over the, the coming <laughs> I don't think so. months, Steve. I, the, I mean, the app, the app thing there really um, interests me, I, I think. Um, I did a piece of work a year ago and there was barely anyone in the market for savings that uh, a dedicated savings provider that, uh, that that had an app and uh, I had to do a similar piece of work recently and uh, there was um, a, a significant minority, should we say, of, of providers that, that had got it and I'm increasingly seeing more and more moving there. One of the things that, that has kind of deterred people from from going into that space is the, the feeling that a lot of the savings products are not transactional. They, you know, look fixed rate bonds. Do people really want to see, see them regularly? I was, I was really interested by the stat you threw in there about the, the activity on the, on the app 
I do you, do you think uh, that's some of that's maybe that some of the thinking's been flawed on on there, or do you think that uh, the the COVID situation has had a a part to to play in terms of driving people more to to digitization? Yeah, it's it's a good question, and I think I think there are a number of things going on. And we would, I think it's been a great surprise to us that it's been as high as 1.4 times per day on average. People do look at their accounts. I think there's just a convenience factor. It's just so easy to, you know, literally tap on your your little app icon on your phone and, and um, you know, use your biometrics, your, your thumbprint to, to take you in. And, they, you know, there you can just look straight away at what you have. Um, so it's more, it's, it, there's definitely a convenience factor. Uh, I mean, within the, the Newcastle online base there's a lot of lifetime isa customers sort of younger generation who maybe as they're kind of saving towards the first house there's there's more reason for them to be looking a bit more regularly at how that's building up is that as they're making plans for the new house clearly if you've got access accounts that that's going to play a part as well but i think and i think even for fixed rate bonds i think and, and there, there might well be something around this with coronavirus where Given the financial shock of that for people, um, people have probably thought a bit more deeply about what kind of savings they've got, what safety net they have. And I think there has been commentary within the industry that probably probably for some time to come now, people will be much more mindful of having a good safety net in case there are any, any other sort of financial shocks that might come for them personally. So, um, you know, looking more regularly, looking more closely at their overall financial position and planning how that how that's gone forward i think that in itself was probably a reason why people are looking more regularly so you know whether it's fixed rate bond whether it's lifetime eyes or whether it's access i think people have different ages um i think there's, there's more and more reason as to why you'd be wanting to to have a look and, and the app just gives you incredible convenience for doing that there's de- there's definitely a big big thing about the you know that that accessibility it's just it's just there all the time isn't it and yeah. uh it's, it's it's uh it doesn't need you to you know kind of log on anywhere particularly you know, it's just there's something that's um yeah convenient and accessible I, i'm really intrigued to see where the market goes on on there and whether we see sort of a uh, an increasing trend uh, certainly i think past experiences has taught us that uh, if if enough uh, providers do something, then the market tends to follow fairly mm. fairly quickly. So I wonder if we'll see a, a fairly quick uptake now within the savings market in in mobile apps. Yes, we've seen a huge amount of change over the the, the past decade. With you know, it's, it's something like fifty new savings providers that have come into the the market and i think we're up to uh 30 newly authorized banks um in in that time as as well uh, but you know despite this there's still a huge number of firms and you mentioned a couple that are going through the journey mm. uh, yeah, there's there's a huge number still looking at the the market and, and going through that banking license application process do you think we're going to see this growth continue or are we getting near the saturation point now in the immediate future james i think the growth does look set to continue just due to the the number of people who are already in the process and are lined up to launch over the next uh, year or so and despite the pandemic um looking back through the last year we still received a number of inquiries 
from people who are, who are looking to set out on the journey to create a bank. I think um, I think the savings market itself can accommodate more providers, um, but uh, there are a number of factors I think that will that will shape you know just just how many come through. I mean, one interesting area to start with is the non-bank lenders. So, as, as a as a as a sector, if you like, or as a, as part of the industry, uh, they probably had a bit of a shock when coronavirus first struck, and um, some of the money markets, the wholesale markets sort of closed off for a period um, which kind of jeopardised our sources of funding. And I think that did prompt some of them to think again about maybe they should actually take the steps towards becoming a bank and entering the savings market so that they had that diversification of their funding. So I, I think there's still some some serious thought going on around that. I think for, for new entrants, other new entrants uh, coming in as new banks, it's not just can, can the savings market accommodate more um, providers, but but can the lending is, is an opportunity in the lending market for those players as well? You know they've got to be happy about uh, their opportunity for for whichever kind of lending it is that they're, they're looking to explore. And then it's almost like the lending first, and then the kind of the, the savings and the funding flows from there. Another interesting dynamic I think this year has been the availability of uh, investment. Uh, so again. I think one of the consequences from coronavirus is that investors have become a bit more cautious as to what their future strategy is and where they're investing. Uh, and that, there have been signs this year that investment for the new bank uh, community has, has been a bit tougher. And then probably the other um, area of interest is is the view of the regulator. So the, the bar was all, always set, you know, and quite rightly so, really high for new entrants uh, looking to come through and, and be banks and the regulators reminded potential applicants in recent times of the standards and expectations that that there are in running a new bank so i think it would just be interesting to see you know how that plays out as people try and go through the process going forward but i think overall there are grounds to be optimistic uh, based on what we have seen this year that the growth will continue at least for a while yet i've kind of viewed the the saving spaces as, as having room for more to come in, but the the lending market potentially being the the more challenging. I, I think what's been interesting about the uh, is COVID is potentially uh, going to ch- could change the shape there. Uh, some of, some of the new providers coming in are filling gaps that haven't haven't been filled yet, uh, but many are coming in and into existing markets. But just things like the the number of of adverse credit customers that would have been um caused by by covid i saw uh, pepper money's white paper saying another 1.09 uh, million I, I mean that's a huge number of people potentially needing to go into more specialist lenders who've who've kind of dominated the the new entrant bank space so whether whether we'll see covid driving um more demand for for those type of of lenders who who as you pointed out there um, may look to um, fund it through the bank route rather than the traditional wholesale finance routes that um, that many have yes hasn't been a dull space for the last sort of 12 13 years I've been in and I think that's gonna it gonna continue okay. um, yeah one thing I always have to ask Stephen is uh, as regular listeners will know is um, the, the big question if you were the chancellor for the day uh, and, and uh, Rishi's got uh, 
bigger things on his plate than the same mark at the moment. But but if you're in his shoes, uh, what's the what's the, the change that you'd make uh, to benefit savers? Yeah, good question. So an area which is probably quite close to my heart at the moment is um, the ability of the younger generations to get their first foot on the property ladder. And I say that because I've got one daughter who has just recently bought her first home and I've got another daughter who's just in the process of trying to buy a first home. So, you know, looking at the challenges um, that the younger generation had anyway around raising um, sufficient deposit to to buy a house, you know, that that was already something of a, that was of interest. And we've seen the success in recent times of things like help to buy ISA and lifetime ISA um, and, and getting uh, younger generations onto the, the housing ladder. And, and, and let's be honest, it's also fueled um, quite a lot of success within the house building sector as well, with uh, the sale of homes. So they, they've they've all been great initiatives. But I think, you know, in light of coronavirus um, and what's happened this year, uh, the availability of high LTV mortgages has, has, has definitely been cut down quite dramatically. So at a stroke, it's um, much harder for um, you know, younger people to sort of try and get their first foot in the ladder to get a mortgage with the, the right kind of loan to value relative to the amount of deposit they have. And, and I think inevitably what it means is that reliance on bank of mum and dad, that that continues, if not increases. Um, and although things like Lifetime ISA um, and Help to Buy have been you know really good initiatives, I, I, I do wonder whether there's something the Chancellor could do um, for the parents, um, you know, something around specifically putting savings aside to be to be helping the younger generation with things like house purchase. Are there incentives that the Chancellor could provide to sort of help that part of it as well? Uh, because I think it's just looking um, increasingly tough for the younger generations to to be buying the first home. So, um, as as a, as a parent with two daughters that have gone through the process or are going through the process. I've got a lot of sympathy for people in that position, and yeah, any any incentives in that on in, on that side, I think, would be very welcome. It, it's definitely an area that I, I think we're most likely to see some action. I think um, anyone that's followed me for for any length of time will know that uh, I'd like to see IS is reformed, but mm. I don't I don't think that space is um, going to get tackled anytime soon, given given what's going on. But I th- I, I can see um, something being done specifically in 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 that space to to help and certainly have, have seen fintechs like nude finance come come in who, who are trying to address that space too and i, I think it is um, an area that uh, that that remains challenging and and, and i'm pretty sure that, uh, that 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 will get looked at fairly shortly it's been a hugely uh interesting market to be in over the past um you know couple of decades huge amount of of change um for for what was quite a a stable uh, industry before uh, the financial crisis um what do you think we're going to see in the next few years there are probably two key things that stand out for me james i think first of all the impact of new entrants which we've, which we've already talked about to a degree but they'll continue to push competition albeit we still Low rates, uh, and you know, for example, we we expect the arrival of JP Morgan um, early next year. It'll be interesting to see what sort of impact they have on the savings market. But whether it's them, whether it's others, uh, I think the the continued arrival of new entrants will, will will have an impact. So that'll be interesting to watch. 
And I think the other area is, um, again, something else I've already touched on, and that's open finance and how that starts to take hold over the next few years. I think there'll be a combination of growing customer awareness and interest in the, the services that are out there and can be provided. And I think also um, increasing capability from providers themselves in terms of what's possible. And I, th- I just think gradually it will sort of start to take hold. In quite in what way, as I said, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but I think open finance is, we're definitely on a bit of a, a journey with that. And um, yeah, that, I think that was to start to, to take hold more over the next few years as well. I think the the JP Morgan entry is is really interesting. I mean, the, they've yet to confirm it's it's true, but we've seen from regulatory filings that uh, that things are definitely happening there. And uh, uh, yeah, given that Marcus put uh, ten basis points on the easy access market after they entered, and uh, and there are a similar sort of size JP Morgan shows what uh, what kind of impact that, that they alone could could do um but i i, yeah, I think uh, i think that's more likely to be uh, mo- moving rates or, or product specific i, I think the re- the really interesting piece is where that uh, where the where the open banking um and open finance um piece leads us because i I, th- I think that's an area that we've yet to to see um any real impact but i think it's uh, i think it's coming i think when 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 it was kind of first announced, a lot of people sort of thought it was a bit of a damp, damp sort of squib because yes. I think people outside the industry kind of thought, you know, it's sort of so built up that we'd, they'd see things immediately. But the reality is it's something that, you know, takes time to develop the the technology to take advantage of it. And I, I think we've yet to uh, to see that really um, gain any traction. But certainly from some of the, the, the startups and fintechs that I've seen, I, I think that's only a matter of, of time, and I think um, the next few years we'll, um, we'll we'll see some of those services shape um, things very differently. Yeah, I agree. Definitely uh, an interesting space to to continue to to be in. Um, Stephen, it's been it's been an absolute uh, pleasure to have you on. I think it's been it's been great to uh, to kind of hear the hear the story, and I think I think it will be be something that. Uh, that will have surprised some of the savers to know that such a, um, a you know a big big provider has been in the market uh, for for so long, um, playing such a, a crucial role that uh, has gone largely under the under the radar from from outside of the industry. Which, uh, as you said, is you know that's you doing your job well. I um, thank you very much for coming on. Um, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you soon. Great. Thanks, James. I enjoyed that. Cheers, Stephen. Thank you.